Hi, I'm Caitlin, and I like education. Do you like to sit around for a while? Found yourself a little pet crocodile. Do you like to just live in the moment? Do you like the stars and moon in the comments? What do you like, do you like? 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 Welcome to What Do You Like, the podcast where you get to know a person through their passions and hobbies. I am your host, Jeremy Zaha, and today I'd like to welcome you in to a conversation that I think is important to have um, and is something that is not discussed out in the public as much. Um, I think it's going to be very educational, but also uh, pretty fun because the person we're talking to today I've known for, oh, geez, like 13 years now, something like that, 12 years. Um, she has a distinguished history. She was once a part of the first family of Lake in the Hills, Illinois. Um, at one point, she was the best dancer I knew. Um, might still be the best dancer I know. Um she also, as we discussed right before we went on, she once straightened my hair. Um, and with that, I want to welcome to the podcast, Caitlin Plaza. Welcome to the podcast, Caitlin. Thank you, Jeremy. I don't think you could give me a better introduction than that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we could go through like uh, professional accomplishments or all this other stuff. But I think I really hit on <clears throat> yeah. the, the real peaks. Mm-hmm. Um. And I will say this, you don't know this, I was actually just in Lake in the Hills. Really? This weekend, yeah. Way to the rents? I was visiting uh, the grandparent. <gasps> nice. Um, Lake of the Hills still doing great. So your your father has really left his mark um, and, and kept that, that city going, or village, yeah. sorry, village. Village, village of like in the hills. Village, yeah. yeah. His slogan was effective leadership, and I think it was pretty true. There, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> um, one thing I didn't mention, I, I mentioned you were part of the first family of Lake in the Hills, but your mom was also on the school board, so you were like mm-hmm. in charge of the village. Um, and the school board's important because today we're talking about. Education, your passion for education. Yes. Um, so kind of start the conversation. Where did you find this passion for education? Yeah. Um, so on top of being the first daughter of like in the hills at one point in time, um, I also like to say that I grew up in a campaign office. Um, uh, I was either, you know, in school at dance practice or in a campaign office, I felt like. And a lot of those campaigns were not only for my dad, but for our school district in general. Um, almost every other year, my school district had a referendum on the ballot to help our budget. Um, and if those didn't get passed, then certain cuts would need to happen or certain projects wouldn't get done in order to help with the expanding population. So school the passion for education really came from that where I felt like there was always some type of like fight and battle to ensure that I had access to a quality education. So how old are we, are we talking where you're actually advocating for this? Like, this is not like second grade Caitlin, is it? It, it was definitely elementary middle school, Caitlin, um, where I was in, uh, campaign offices and, you know, being there late at night with my mom and all of the other, uh, folks that were running the campaign to ensure that the referendum passed. That is so impressive. (laughs) Uh, I will say elementary school, Jeremy was really just focused on, um, the most recent WWE raw. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. We've talked about this, like Stone Cold Steve Austin. I had his photo in my room. (laughs) China, The Rock, you know, like me and my brother would spend hours trying to like 
get our eyebrow to stay up like the rock. So very much so still did all of that stuff. But at the same time, yeah, my parents very like, fortunately, in my end, were instilling this like, civil activism and passion for education, like long before I even knew it. So as you were going through school and doing all this was how did your friends react? Cause I'm sure some of your, uh, most of your friends probably were not as passionate about that. And they probably were really confused at some times. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how, how is that explaining and how did that affect your relationship? Um, uh, <clears throat> the nice thing was a lot of my friends knew my family in that way. Like they knew my dad was doing politics and my mom was also heavily involved in education. She even taught um, computer at our school at one point in time too. So like, it was very much so uh, ingrained in our family. So a lot of my friends just knew it as part of the things that I did. Um, when I was in high school though, is when it was a little bit different um, because in our junior year of high school is when a really big referendum hit. And if they weren't, if we didn't pass that referendum, they were going to get rid of all extracurricular activities, all electives, except like a handful that were still going to be requirements and either put us on split scheduling or year round scheduling because they weren't going to have the finances to be able to house all of the people and all of the activities that existed. So that is the one that I got like super involved in. And me and my mom had already made a pact that we were not going to work on any re more referendums. And we, I uh, went to a school board meeting because as a high schooler would do, uh, <laughs> I went to one and they were talking about this and I legitimately wrote in my notebook to my mom, like, can we work on one more referendum? And I'm pretty sure she still has that piece of paper um, to like say that, yes, we can do this. And that was the one that I got, I tried to get as many students involved in because it was gonna impact our education. And that's usually what's not seen when you're talking about passing a referendum. Passing a referendum is increasing taxes. No one wants yeah. to do that, especially if we don't have students. But if you put students in front of people and understand what that impact is, then it's a lot harder to say no to. So it almost seems like in high school, I mean, I'm sure all the other referendums were important, but like, it seems like that, that was the one where you kind of like put the pedal to the metal and were like, this this is what we've been training for almost <laughs> yeah <laughs> like superhero status <laughs> so is this uh this is all before your mom was on the school board though right yeah my mom was on the school board um after i graduated college um was when she was on the school board um but she was also when i was in high school she worked for our district in the finance department she was like a director of finance um, at that point in time there. So she had a very good understanding of where our finances were and what those implications might be. That is, that is definitely something important. I think all school boards should have someone who directly is linked to, or at least mm -hmm. has an understanding of the, the financial function of a school. Yeah. I do want to jump back though. This this popped in my head for those, for our younger listeners, um, at one point, there was a class in school called computers yes. because computers were so <laughs> new that you just have a class where you'd be like, Here, we're going to play on the computers because not everyone has one at home. <laughs> you learn how to type. Yeah. Or me who just never learned how to type. Mm -hmm. um, the school system failed me. Um, <laughs> uh, more so, I found ways around it and yeah, was not the the greatest student at times. I wasn't um, a good student either. I was a horrible student. So let's, let's jump into that. Like you are someone who's so passionate about having all these resources and making sure everyone has everything they need. Mm -hmm. But were you enjoying school? I was enjoying school. Um, 
there are certain things that I wouldn't enjoy in school and uh, that ebbed and flowed throughout my years. Um, uh, like you not learning how to type. I didn't learn how to read until much later in my life than someone should have. Um, really? Yeah. And so then I had to go to summer school for that. And that wasn't fun. No one ever wants to do that. Um, but I was in a very big public school system. Like there were 40 some students in my kindergarten class. Like I had my smallest classes when I got to college, which is usually the opposite, you know, also had my largest classes, but I was able to sneak by in a lot of things. So I wasn't a good test taker. I was angsty if I could prove to a teacher that this wasn't going to impact my life (laughs) in the future, you know, like my pre-calc class, I vividly remember getting kicked out because I kept arguing with my teacher and she's like, Plaza, just leave. Like, I can't deal with trying to prove to you when you're going to use an ellipsis. So. <laughs> well, have you ever used an ellipsis since? No. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. <laughs> I mean, I think that that's really interesting to, to highlight because a lot of people view education as, oh, formal schooling but education is not doesn't fit into that box it's just because education is so important or it should be so important for the society there has to be some sort of structure to it Mm -hmm. they have to be able to put forth some structure to it with the idea being to make sure everyone has access access to this doing it Mm -hmm. but in practice that's not the case, correct? Yeah, that's absolutely true. I mean, having access to education is one thing, but having access to an education that works for you and how you need to learn is a completely different situation. Um, And I think education too needs to be more than just writing and arithmetic, you know, like it needs to be all of those other pieces that you're learning your computers and your music and uh, all your arts classes and things like that, because something is going to click for a student and that's going to allow them to like to learn and like to continue their education. And then they can figure it out from there. You know, like that is such a critical piece. Yeah. I mean, I can speak to, my own education growing up, I was very young labeled a smart kid, mm-hmm. which ruined me. Um, yeah. <laughs> because, and I learned this later on, um, because I was labeled a smart kid, I thought in my mind, like, well, I'm smart. I'll just be able to do it. Mm-hmm. And then when things got difficult, I didn't, I didn't learn how to figure it out. I didn't learn how to work through it. Yeah. I was like, I should just know this. And I would just it like almost shut down almost. Um, and I wasn't a great student until I was in college. I had gone through four years, had a rough year, and then I dropped out. Yeah. <laughs> I dropped out of college for a year, moved to Minnesota. Caitlin, you were there. Mm-hmm. You remember. Yeah, I was, yep, I was, I was Minnesota, there. Yeah. <laughs> I was there for all of this. Um, and then I went back. Mm-hmm. And I only had like a, a, a year and a half left. And I learned the absolute most in that year and a half. Then the 16 years of schooling before that, because I reframed my idea of education. I didn't, the grade didn't matter to me. I actually showed up to class every day. I was like, the, the education is the learning and the the grade will come with it. Mm -hmm. When did you kind of realize that? Oof. I mean, I, to be frank, I didn't realize that until likely after college. I was, while I wasn't a good student growing up in a traditional sense, you know, I, I didn't have good test taking capabilities. I wasn't always the smartest person, but like my brother was, you know, my dad, my mom were. And so I was constantly fighting to be that and to be a good student. Um, and it wasn't until later, like after college, when I wished I didn't go the traditional route. 
I didn't, I wish I didn't go straight into college and did a gap year, or I wish that I worked somewhere first for a while, you know, and then went to college and then had that experience of being able to apply those skills directly to that. Um, and then even more so now I have now worked for two like non-traditional education schools and tech companies. And so I very much so believe that our traditional education system is failing people across the board. And you have to find like what it is that works for you when it comes to learning and figure out where that fits in. But it really sucks that you have to figure it out on your own. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> you know? I, I definitely agree. I think um, I don't think a lot of the world is set up to explain things well to us. Yeah. As because I don't think I think especially in America, we struggle with being honest. Mm hmm. Um, I think there's a lot of just like, oh, if we, if we, uh, a, f a famous phrase that you and I are familiar with, fake it till you make it. Mm -hmm. yep. There's a lot of that, but they don't ever get to the make it part. They just keep faking it. Yeah. Um, and fake it till you make it works for smaller things. <laughs> but when you're doing like structural change, like you can't just do that. Yeah. Uh, but that's interesting. That's interesting that, 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 that thought didn't come in until after college when you're discussing like when you're talking with people about this because obviously i'm sure you you have discussions mm -hmm. um especially before the pandemic when you actually saw people in person yeah um and got to uh, believe that people are real and they're not just boxes in your computer. screen <laughs> yeah um when you're having these discussions like what what do people say? Like, is there a lot of receptiveness or is there some people like pushing back against it? I think it depends on who it is you're talking to um, and their views on traditional education, too. I mean, I, there's a ton of people at this point in time that still believe that going through high school, getting your bachelor's, you know, getting another degree is what you need to do to prove that you're successful and prove that you have the ability to do X, Y, or Z. Um, but there's a ton of people that get let down by that system too. Um, and even a ton of people that go through it and don't realize that they're getting let down by the system too, as part of that, which I feel like was a lot of my realization too, of not knowing that like not having enough textbooks for a classroom was weird. Like I didn't know that, that I just thought that we, some people had to share. Uh, and so like, it, it's a very different situation. Like when you're looking at it across the board and when you look at all of those um, differences when it comes to access and equity, but when you're talking to people about a traditional education versus a non-traditional education, it's very interesting. I'm actually doing a bunch of research on some of our programs right now, and people are very much so open to hiring folks that have gone through a boot camp type and don't have a degree, but very seldom have they ever actually done that, hired somebody that doesn't have a degree. Interesting. So these are, these are like for teaching positions. These are for, no, these are for, oh. uh, uh, more in the tech field, like, gotcha. uh, um, data analysts or digital marketers or engineers. Um, a lot of times they will put that as a requirement still, um, but say that it's not, <laughs> but use it as a way to filter people out still, even if it's not. So it's interesting like when you're talking about people's perspectives around education, we are still stuck in this traditional sense while people are moving at the same times towards a non-traditional education. Yeah. I mean, th that brings up a really interesting topic in that this like requirement for a lot of jobs to have a college degree. Yeah. Um, it brings up my mom, my mom works for a company. I'm not gonna go into details cause I don't know if I'm allowed to, <laughs> um, but she worked for a company for 30 years. Yeah. That company got bought by a competitor. And there was real anxiety 
that she was going to be out of a job because she does not have a college degree. Mm-hmm. Um, even though she knew <laughs> everything about it, like her, yeah. her understanding was well above anyone that has a college degree um, and is very specialized to <laughs> the company. company. Yeah. So it's like, that's like the perfect thing. But like, there was a real, I, and, and I mean, I think there's some, some anxiety on her end, but also like, it was a very realistic possibility that they would let her go because they, she didn't fit into the model of who someone in her position should be. Mm-hmm. When, do you think that there is ever going to be a time where whether or not you have a college degree is going to not necessarily matter at all? I do think so. And I really hope so. Um, it's an odd thing to put as a requirement in my opinion. Um, You have to be very privileged to be able to get a college degree, especially this day and age when you're talking about how expensive it is. Um, And so many people's college degrees don't have anything to do with what they're going to go into. Like I have a political science degree. I don't do anything in political science right now. Um, I work for a tech education company, so (laughs) not on our politics side. (laughs) Um, So I like a lot of people have that. And like you said, a lot of times you're just in college, like going through the motions and not actually truly there to learn. And you're just there because you know you need to get the degree in order to have this thing marked off. But I think a lot of people are now starting to realize that that's not what's needed, you know, experience and knowledge within the tool, you know, like what your mom has is what's needed for most professions out there. See, that is something I think is not talked about enough in like the, the corporate world. I'll say this. So I, I started out working in the nonprofit sector. Mm Me too. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It was very personally fulfilling, but emotionally devastating. Yeah. Um, so then I switched to a corporate job. And it was uh, professionally nothing and emotionally numbing. Um, <laughs> because I think – and it was a good company. I, I will say, like, they – I have nothing bad to say about the company, but there's this view in like corporate world is like you are there to just kind of fill a role that can easily be replaced. Yeah. And there's not so much a, um, like I would often like my director uh, viewed, uh, gave me like superlative most curious Cause I just ask questions and be like, why is it, why are we doing this? Why and it is, it's like some things it, it was like an act of Congress to like, there's one form we had that would be sent out to, um, con- or customers that didn't make sense. It literally took over a year to get the form updated. <laughs> and I actually changed into another position. Yeah. <laughs> Before it even happened. It's like there's something about like a, the business world specifically that it, it, it they're just very much stuck in their ways. And I, I think it's it's a mirror of society. That's mm-hmm. the reason why like social change takes so long. Yeah. What do you think it will take? I mean, th- these are big questions that you don't have to have an answer for. Um because I mean, if, there, an if there's an easy answer to this, I'm sure it'd be done. But like, what does it take? I guess, in, in your experience, what have you seen that has actually changed a person's view on some of this? I mean, the thing that will change people's view is being directly impacted by something. 
um, and being directly impacted can mean, you know, your significant other or your friend or your brother have been impacted by it and you have that close relation. Um, another thing that I learned in the good old campaign office days that relating it back to a personal experience is the best way to get people on your side in those situations. And I think being directly impacted by something is what will change the tide. And we kind of were this last year when it comes to traditional education, like schools shut down, people were sent home, uh, online learning had to become a thing overnight for a institution that did not do that and was pretty much against it for most of the time. And so at that point in time, they had to turn to non-traditional education to understand what they should be doing too and to um, get to that point. But still, everyone is stuck in that system that's already in that system, you know, and they are still bound to doing hybrid learning or having kids at home and learning or however that is. And we're seeing true and lasting impacts from that. And I think at this point, we're starting to make that shift towards what could it look like if this were different? Yeah, I mean, COVID-19 is going to be a, a it's going to be a turning point in, mm -hmm. in our lives, similar to like 9-11 was. Yeah. Um, and I never thought of like that drastic change to, oh, now we have to move to remote learning. I never thought of it as a, like, that's a positive where it's forcing people to rethink what education is. Mm -hmm. And you're very right. Like it is absolutely, I mean, a lot of people are, there's a lot of people out there that aren't as successful remote. Yeah. But, there are some people I think are way more successful remote. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the hard thing with this is you have, you had students that are, let's say seventh grade. They had six grades one way. And some people just can't make the adjustment yes, totally. in a year. So do you think there's, this is going to lead to like a more, like from like the very beginning, a, a, a change in how education is presented, even as an elementary school. Mm -hmm. I do. I think um, it's going to be a slow change, just like anything is going to yeah. take a lot of time. Um, but I do think we're going to start to see that. And, and even those like test cases to figure out what it could look like, because I think not only was it, a huge shift because you had done school traditionally for X amount of years and now you're being thr thrown into doing it differently. But also it was a unprepared change. You know, it wasn't a conscious decision and uh, that, and that we threw a bunch of resources behind to support our educators, to support our school leaders in making these decisions, you know, like, we, we were just thrust into this and uh, to no one's fault. And uh, everyone did their absolute best and what they could with the situation at hand. And our educators are amazing. Um, but I do think this is the time where people both who work in the system and who are in the system as students get to now understand, oh, there is a difference in this. There is a different way of accessing this education and this ability. And I think ultimately what a non-traditional type of education is going to do is also going to bring a lot of access and more equality. Because if you are able to meet people where they're at, you know, if a mom is trying to get that next level of education, but she is a mom so she's also working a part-time job is a stay-at-home mom and you know like then wants to level up to the next thing she needs some type of flexible education 
that a lot of our not our traditional systems can't provide her, you know? So having that ability or having people who might not do well in a big crowded classroom and need to kind of focus in and understand or get like highly specialized um, one-on-one learning on how to read, you know, like that is going to be able to become a thing for a lot of people that we didn't know we could do previously. Yeah. You, you bring up a very, very important thing. I think a, a lot of schools struggle with having like highly specialized people in the building. Yeah. But this year has proven you don't need to have them in the building. Mm-hmm. A district can have someone who's super specialized and they can have a room with a camera and a screen and the students can go into that room. Mm-hmm. The teacher doesn't have to travel everywhere. All like, I mean, you look at the city of Chicago, like if CPS had a small group of highly specialized people, mm-hmm. the fact that they don't have to commute from different school to school would make their time that much more valuable. Yeah. And I mean, there you can't do it for everything. Not everything is going to work seamlessly like that, but mm-hmm. it's a new piece that we hadn't done before, that we hadn't thought of or attempted. Um, it's it's a new way of viewing something, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. I, it, it reminds me, and personally, I hate buzzwords Ooh, in business. Synergy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, but this year is the, the definition of disruption. Yeah. Yes. Mm. Um, with these drastic changes coming, how do you think that our society can kind of meet the, the need of like preparing t-shirts teachers for this? Do Mm. you think that there's, there's going to be the resources or you think that's going to be a huge fight? I am a person that is optimistic, but also very much so a realist. Uh, (laughs) So, and and my like emotional self, I want to be like, yeah, of course we can do that. It's going to be great. Um, But being realistic and understanding um, how resources get divvied up, I think, it is going to be a battle. There's going to absolutely be a battle between the private and public sector to, you know, to have those resources. There's going to be um, a battle when it comes to certain areas of a state, of a city, and ensuring that those resources are adequately um, distributed. And as we know, that doesn't happen very much so on the regular right now. And So while optimistic Caitlin would want to be like, yes, we'll be able to get these resources out to everyone, you know, realist Caitlin very much so knows that our lower socioeconomic status areas will not get those resources at on a readily available basis. And it would be, it'll be a much slower progression in those areas. Yeah. I, I think that is the struggle. I think social change there's any change in general. I think that's the real struggle in that you can figure out the solution, but the, the frustration is a process takes so long mm-hmm. <laughs> to, to change it. And you just, you just see the solution. You see the finish line. Yeah. But it's like so many hurdles that you, that you don't even realize when you start out are going to, to be in the way. Mm-hmm. Where do you see your role in this process? My role in this process, um, I think, is twofold. One, I'm, I'm very fortunate right now to be working for a company that does online non-traditional education. So we were already doing remote learning and we're able to impact a lot of lives in that way. Um, so conti- obviously continuing to do that. But I think on the flip side, it's figuring out and how to get more involved 
in a way for this to be impacted on our traditional school systems and ensure that there isn't such drastic inequities when it comes to education the next time everyone has to go remote, you know? Because mm -hmm. the next time everyone has to go remote, do, and this happened this time around, you know, like, does everyone have a computer? Does everyone have an iPad? Does everyone have internet access? How are we going to do it? You know, like, how do we make sure that that doesn't have to be a thing that we're questioning? Yeah, I think that's so important. That's, that's truly, I mean, I think a lot of people take for granted. I mean, everyone listening to this podcast, <laughs> at the very least, you have access probably to a cell phone mm -hmm. um, and a data package. Or you might be um, sitting at a desktop. But I don't know. I guess some people, they'll work and actually listen to podcasts through their computer. Oh, I've tried to do that. I can't get anything done. Yeah, I don't, I don't know either. But if you, if you are, I appreciate you. You keep <laughs> listening. You're doing great. Um, You're special time, special kind of employee that yes. can do that, like that multitasking. Yes. yes, absolutely. But like, there's there are people out there that like their internet is, is real spotty. Like mm -hmm. they might say that they have internet, but like the only company available to them is shitty yeah <laughs> so and they don't have the ability to up their speed or anything you know like mm -hmm. they just can't and like so much of everything requires like so much speed and now i just got internet again from a company that everyone knows um and most people hate um and i just found out there's like data limits now that was nothing yeah. before Mm -hmm. It's like, oh no, you you can't They'll if you stop go over you. this much. Yeah, it's like uh, the cell phone, <laughs> but on on my home computer, mm -hmm. uh, it, it's almost like in some ways we're getting all this access, but there's still people like and systems that are like making sure that we don't have like complete access. Oh yeah, and to be clear. In all of this conversation, I'm only talking about the U.S. at this point in time, but to even yeah. consider a lot of the other countries around the world that don't have electricity access, let alone internet access, it is astonishing to believe that that's still the case, like that we can't get the resources to these folks. You know, like even here in the United States that we can't ensure that we're getting resources, everyone. All of my teacher friends, all my teachers and my family had students that didn't have access to the internet and didn't have access to a computer or laptop for their class or their session. And it's, it's honestly a bunch of bullshit that we can't give that to people. Yep. I think that's, that's the perfect way to say it. It's bullshit. <laughs> um, so now that we've solved the education crisis, we've, we've laid it out. Uh, now we just need our our political leaders and everyone to yeah. just listen, listen to this podcast. And it, all the answers are right here. Seriously, just follow me. Uh, Let's go. <laughs> I do want to touch on a little bit like where, like what is it about education? Like where, where does this hit you? Like what do you gain from this? Because I know – it's something that's, I mean, I'm sure everyone's like, yeah, we should do this. We should do this. But like, this has to hit you differently than other people for you to be this passionate about it. Like, what is it about this that makes it so important to you? Oof. Um, I think it honestly goes back to me being so bad at it and not being able to read. Like I would, le I legitimately didn't know how to read until I was going into second grade, third grade, like, and just would, I could read some things, but I wasn't comprehending things. I wasn't truly learning anything. And uh, I then had to go to summer school when they caught me and realized that I wasn't actually understanding anything. And I had a, a teacher at that point in time that 
made it click. And then later in high school, I had another teacher who told me about how she completely failed out of college, completely failed, and then was at a library and found a book that clicked for her. And she went back to school and realized that she needed to study sociology and become a, a history and sociology teacher. And having these educators that like showed me that you can just fall completely on your face and still get back up and continue to learn throughout your life. Like me, when I was super young to my then uh, teacher who flunked out of college and did a bunch of stuff later and then came back, you know, to all, all of the people that I work with on a regular basis that are going back to school and finding another path, like that ability to continue to learn and um, like plant that seed in somebody's mind super early on, I think is really what hits home for me. Like basically you never stop learning. You're going to have to fall on your face a few times, but like if our education system can provide that to people where they get this little bit of knowledge and little bit of like seed planted that continuing to learn is what's going to better our world. Like that's what speaks to me. That's beautiful. I, at one point, I wanted to be a teacher. Me too. Yeah. Uh, and, that's but why I went the, to Illinois State, number one. Like, the like Illinois State. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was, um, so I was education major into like going into my junior year. Mm-hmm. I was still an education major. Um, but the one thing that turned me off was the bureaucracy of education. Yeah. It's like I, I I liked learning and I liked teaching, but I didn't like the institution. Mm-hmm. And I think what you what you've shared is like we as a society need to go back to let's just teach. Like, let's just help people learn. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, when I was in Minnesota, I, I worked through AmeriCorps at an elementary school in St. Paul, Minnesota, which it was a, a magnet school, mm-hmm. um, which means that like anyone from the, within St. Paul could go there. It's like an application, but it wasn't like extra money. It was, um, it was kind of restrictive in that you had to find a way there or whatnot. Um, but it was actually two schools in one and half of it was a science focus. So for students that were really interested in science or realistically it was for parents of students who wanted them to <laughs> learn science. Um, but the other half was Montessori and that's the half I worked with. Yeah. Um, and the Montessori learning style is uh, hands on, like. The teacher mm-hmm. is not sitting in front of the class. It's more so, oh, here's some activities you can do here, here, here. Everyone needs kind of do all the activities, but this is the topic we're learning to show me you understand it however you want kind of situation. And it was crazy to see both of those functioning really within the same building. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that like this hit me with what you're explaining, like, we need to find ways to get to these kids how they need to learn. Yeah. Um, and it makes so much sense that you'd be so passionate about it because you felt it wasn't, you, you weren't met Yeah. until you, was, until you found those I t-shirts. was failed by our public school systems over and over again. And I still believe in them because, <laughs> But I also believe that we got to disrupt the shit out of them at the same time and really bring in some different ways of thinking, different ways of learning, different ways of meeting people where they're at to ensure that they're constantly continuing to learn. And it's not just 
you know, to the SAT or ACT or whatever T's we take these days. <laughs> well, we're adults. We take zero T's. <laughs> um, but uh, so as we're we're kind of wrapping up, I do want to know, you mentioned how you never stop learning. Mm-hmm. In this year of COVID, is there anything that you've learned or picked up or is there anything that you identify like I want to learn that in the future? Ooh, yeah. Um I am currently going through a, a data analytics and a product management course. Um so um continuously learning in that way. But if I'm being really honest right now, I want to learn a lot more about like my own finances and like figuring that out because adulting's hard and we didn't learn that in school. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember I learned how to write a check, but the issue with learning how to write a check is you have to have money behind it. <laughs> and that's the hard part. Yep. So, I mean, I, that's really basic and boring and, you know, but that's definitely something that I want to con- like currently learn a lot more about. The other thing is my plants. I love learning about plants. <laughs> yeah, I I will verify this. I was on a, a Zoom call with Kayla and some other friends and literally it turned into a I thought I was uh, listening in on like an NPR <laughs> plant discussion is just like oh this plant does really well in this area this oh this needs so much sun and oh this this you you can't kill (laughs) oh but i killed it and then it's like all this discussion i will say this if you have any questions about plants on top of education kaylin's a good (laughs) resource um and with that is there any way that you want people to reach out and connect with or is there anything that you want to promote any uh, nonprofit you feel is really important or any resources you want anyone to, to follow up with? Ooh. Um, I, I mean, anyone can follow me on the social meds. Um, I'm pretty positive. All of them are just my name, Caitlin Plaza. Um, and resources and things like that. I mean, there are a million and a half really great resources out there. Um, yeah, I'm sure the good thing is, is I'm sure there's a, a good Google search where you can find ways to help yeah. out your local school district. There's ways I'm sure you can. Um, Honestly, you know what I do want to say for that? A really great resource is going to your local school board meetings and understanding what your school district, the one that you live in is actually facing and up against. So if a referendum ever comes on the ballot, you understand what that means to those students. That I think we just gave listeners some homework. (laughs) Um, But I think that's important. I remember uh, it was with Caitlin that I went to my first school board meeting. Mm hmm. We went and we presented about a nonprofit we were both working in. Yeah. And it was so interesting. Um, The crazy thing, and what was interesting for me is it wasn't the district I was from. It was like, I had absolutely no connection necessarily to this district other than I wanted to present this topic. But I mean, I, I felt like I learned so much. I, I, I gained more respect for the process and the, the education system and the role of the school board. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also, with recent things happening, it becomes even more important who is on that school board. Yeah. It is so important to know who's on your school board to vote for your school board. Your school board is the elected officials. So you can vote for those people. You can research who they are and what they believe in. You can run for school board, you know, like, Getting involved in your school board really impacts a lot more than we think it does. And I will say this. If you have anyone running for school board in your area, because local elections are actually coming up in a lot of places, um, check to make sure that um, your local school board elect officials uh, believe in COVID and and believe in masks, because that's like a good litmus test to whether or not (laughs) they should be educating or involved in the education 
mm-hmm. of our youth. Yeah. Just uh, social justice in, a, in any way, <laughs> shape, or form. <laughs> Absolutely. And if you're thinking about running for school board and you want to know how to be good at it, um, you can reach out to Caitlin. Her mom is a is a great yeah. resource. Um, she, I'm sure one day she'll teach a master's class on how to be a member <laughs> of the school board. There, there has to be a, a online platforms that she can like teach that. I'm sure that would be great. Yeah. She'd be good at that. Her retiring position. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um. So everyone listening, thank you. If this is your first episode, we do these every Tuesday. Um. You can reach the podcast at What Do You Like Podcast on Instagram at WDYL podcast on Twitter. Um, or you can go to our website, what do you like podcast.com. Um, if you enjoy, what we listen to feel free to give it a five star review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. Um, we always love feedback. So definitely reach out. And if you really like what you listen to, tell a friend, um, the real goal of this podcast is to learn about people and to grow a community where people can come and share what they love, share their passion. Um, and hopefully maybe you'll learn something too. Um, Caitlin, again, always a pleasure to talk to you. Um, we'll have to, we'll have to, uh, schedule that next group zoom call. And now you can, uh, rub it in everyone else's face that you've made it onto the podcast. Yeah. And hopefully at some point, we can be together again, and I can straighten your hair. That's true. <laughs> it, 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 I, with with COVID, my hair is back to its long length. <laughs> I have not gotten a haircut since since January 2020 Ooh. was the last time I got a haircut. Those locks. So it's ready. It's ready <laughs> to get straightened. Um, and with everyone listening, with that, we'll see you next time. Bye.